Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. In this segment, I'm with Keaton Ross, who covers criminal justice for Oklahoma Watch. Following mass shootings in Taft and Tulsa, he looked into how Oklahoma has loosened firearms restrictions over the past decade. Keaton, most folks are familiar with Oklahoma passing a permitless carry law in 2019. What kinds of gun laws have flown more under the radar? Yeah, so in 2020, and this has gotten some attention following those mass shootings, there was an anti-red flag law that the legislature passed and Governor Sitt signed that basically told cities and counties that you can't enact a red flag law, which uh, gives police and concerned family members the uh, ability to petition a court and take away someone's firearms before uh, a court and then a court will eventually rule on that um, That law. The state never had a red flag law. It just said, cities and counties, you can't do that on your own. And then there were also, you know, over the years, 2013, 2014, 2015, uh, laws saying expanding firearms access in schools, for example, allowing private schools to make their own policy. Um, so it's it's been a series of laws expanding where you can carry a gun and, and making it easier to get a gun. Well, with recent events, uh, do any lawmakers maybe want to take a second look at any of those? Yeah, on Thursday, last Thursday afternoon, the House Democratic Caucus held a press conference where they called for a series of gun policy changes, and they want to see those proposals considered during a special session that that starts next Monday. What, uh, what kind of things are they proposing? Uh, first of all, they want to repeal that anti-red flag law that passed in 2020. Uh, they'd like to raise the minimum age for firearms purchases to 21. Um, and also implement a waiting period um, from when you go to purchase a gun and actually receive the gun. Well, with uh, super majorities in both houses, do they have any support from the other side of the aisle? Um, it's looking unlikely. There, there have been maybe I've seen maybe one or two Republican lawmakers on the record who have said they might be open to something, but the vast majority of statements and sentiments have been. This is not something we're going to consider where Oklahoma is a strong Second Amendment state, that sort of thing. Where does Oklahoma rank uh, for firearms mortality rates? In 2020, Oklahoma ranked 12th in the nation at 20.8 deaths per 100,000 residents. Uh, Of course, it's important to note those aren't all deaths from mass shootings. The, The vast majority of deaths are homicides or suicides. Um, But... Uh, some researchers have linked permitless carry laws to increased firearm mortality rates. Um, and we've certainly, you know, even from looking at 2019 to 2020, have, have seen an increase there. Which way uh, is it trending? Is it trending beyond just the last year or two? Yeah, it's it's risen about 32% since 2014. Um, and we've also seen that trend at a national level. It's been... Um, the rate is lower nationally, but it's been trending in the same direction, um, 34% nationally, 2014 to 2020. 
according to these statistics from uh, the CDC. So it's been it's been rising in Oklahoma and the nation as a whole. So let me let me make sure I understood that you're saying that since uh, 2014, uh, deaths uh, as a result of firearms in Oklahoma have gone up by about 34 percent. Correct. Yeah, that's looking at that firearms mortality rate. It's it's trended up. Uh, 32% in Oklahoma and 34% nationally. There a chance we're going to see any federal uh, action on firearms? Yeah, Congress could vote on a gun safety package as soon as this week. Um, it could, of course, it's hard to know at the federal level. It could drag on uh, for several more weeks. Some Republicans have signaled they might be open to some changes as far as raising the age to purchase a firearm or increasing background checks for someone 18, 19, 20 who wants to purchase a gun. So that that is pending right now. And where does Oklahoma's delegation stand on those changes? Uh, thus far, there there haven't been any of, of Oklahoma's lawmakers that have signaled an, an interest in, in what's been proposed. Um, it's It's been similar similar talking points that we've seen from uh, Oklahoma Republicans, as far as there needs to be more of a focus on mental health, and uh, we need to increase, you know, church attendance and family values, those sorts of things. All right. Well, thanks, Keaton. Be sure to read Keaton's story on trends in gun legislation in Oklahoma, as well as all his other investigative work on criminal justice matters at OklahomaWatch.org. Oklahoma Watch has increased its coverage of democracy and threats to it. Our latest story on the topic looks at the prevalence of unfounded claims about the 2020 presidential elections and their focal role in 2022 campaigns for state and congressional office in Oklahoma. Here to talk about that story is our executive editor, Mike Sherman. Why did we pick this story, Mike? Well, Trevor Brown reported this story for Oklahoma Watch, and in the past, many of these candidates might have been written off as fringe cases, but misinformation has really hit the mainstream in Oklahoma politics. Several loud and persistent voices are amplifying and spreading these falsehoods, and we thought this was an extremely important topic for us. So uh, who are those loud or persistent voices? Well, three are running for U.S. Senate, and the loudest is Jackson Lamire. He's the uh, 30-year-old Tulsa pastor and one of two candidates running against U.S. Senator uh, James Lankford in the GOP primary. Of course, Lamire seized upon Lankford's change of mind after the January 6th insurrection when Lankford voted to go ahead and certify the Electoral College results. Lamar subsequently won the favor of former President Donald Trump and his loudest and most media-savvy election deniers when he repeated their unfounded claims at nearly every stop. Over in the other U.S. Senate race, there's two presidential election deniers in that GOP primary. That's State Senator Nathan Dahm of Broken Arrow and former State Speaker of the House T.W. Shannon. And then in the congressional races, one of the loudest is the former state GOP chairman, John Bennett. He's running for Mark Wayne Mullins' congressional seat with these false claims as a big part of his stump speech. So uh, to what extent uh, has that spread through races for, for state office? Well, there's a current state representative who's running for labor commissioner, and he's used these lies as a rationale for sponsoring an unsuccessful bill that would have required every Oklahoman to re-register to vote 
in federal elections after 2023. I'm talking about State Rep. Sean Roberts from Hominy, who during a House committee hearing on this bill said, I was very clear that the election was stolen from Mr. Trump. So uh, what kind of proof do we have that these uh, these falsehoods are having having an impact? Well, the next test or proof will be the June 28th primaries and the August 23 runoffs. But there's evidence that actually politicians are responding to voters and not the other way around. There's a CNN poll that was conducted earlier this year, and it's important to, I think, uh, share the, the sample. Uh, 1,500 or so households, adults 18 and older, a 95% confidence level in that poll, slim margin of error, 3.3%. And here's the numbers. 70% of those who identified themselves as Republicans believe President Joe Biden is not the legitimately elected president. And that compares to just 34% of independents and 5% of Democrats. The other thing about that poll that's interesting is it totally mirrors a poll from 2021 in the same time frame. So this has taken root in a large section of the electorate of, of the Republican Party. So it seems like there's maybe some names missing when you when you ran down that list of uh, candidates who publicly deny the the presidential results, uh, Governor Stitt, Senator Langford, all of uh, Oklahoma's GOP congressional delegation. Where do they stand on this? Uh, most part, they stand very quietly. Governor Stitt, you might remember, was one of the earliest Republican leaders to acknowledge Biden's presidential victory. He did that uh, the Monday after the, the the certification of the results in that November of 2020. But he's also endorsing uh, State Representative Roberts for labor commissioner and has not publicly criticized or countered any state election deniers. We found no record, really, of Republican election officials in Oklahoma who've spoken out against these unfounded claims or lies. You know, if you start thinking about why, think about the poll numbers, and then glance at the calendar, which shows three weeks until the primary. That might explain it. Those poll numbers uh, and that glance of the calendar uh, three weeks away um, could explain what for us? I think it explained the, the, the why nobody's speaking out. In the primary, the big threat, of course, is people who run against you to the right of the party. There's some people who are challenging. Langford on the right, uh, to the right of him, um, Governor Stitt, I think you might see some people speaking out, at least saying the election results were legit once we get past the primary or the runoffs. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, you can read Trevor Brown's story on uh, how election denial is uh, influencing Oklahoma elections and all our other investigative work at oklahomawatch.org. Reporter Paul Money's covers state agencies and public health. His most recent story looked at an interesting campaign commercial uh, that's airing now by incumbent Republican Governor Kevin Stitt. The governor faces three opponents in the primary election coming up June 28th. Paul, there's scores of campaign commercials on the Oklahoma airwaves right now. Why did this particular ad stand out? Yeah, so this ad was released last week and is airing in Tulsa and Oklahoma City media markets as well as possibly others 
uh, statewide markets. And it, it was interesting because it's a 30-second campaign ad that touts some of the accomplishments of Governor Kevin Stitt, uh, but it also spends about half that time touting some of the accomplishments of, of him and uh, his appointed Attorney General John O'Connor, who has a primary as, as well this year. Remind us a little about how John O'Connor became the Attorney General. Yeah, so Governor Stitt appointed John O'Connor last summer um, after the previous uh, Attorney General Mike Hunter resigned amid kind of some allegations of extramarital affairs. And so since that time, O'Connor has focused a lot on uh, fighting the federal lawsuits, mandates on COVID and um, also on abortion and spent not too much time on state issues either. Now, in Oklahoma, generally uh, candidates don't run as a ticket, right? Not even the governor and lieutenant governor run run together. That's right. Yeah. Back to our populist roots for the, the Constitution uh, at statehood, uh, you know, they, they wanted to disperse power as widely as possible. So they other states do have some candidates that run like as a lieutenant, as a governor and lieutenant governor. But um, Oklahoma doesn't. And but this this commercial definitely looks like they're running together as a ticket. You talk to some campaign managers uh, about commercials like this. What'd they say? Yeah. So these 30 second commercials are kind of known as a, a 30 second split. And so they'll do generally, for the most part, they'll do like 15 seconds touting that candidate's accomplishments and what they do. And then maybe the last 15 seconds, maybe attacking an opponent or doing something like that. Uh, by contrast, this commercial was, you know, Stitt's accomplishments in the first half and uh, his and O'Connor's accomplishments together in the second half, featuring a lot of video with John O'Connor in that second part of the commercial. Has anybody else uh, raised any questions about this, Ed? Yeah. So we've had uh, questions raised across the political spectrum. The Democrats and Republicans have said this is kind of an odd ad to run a couple of weeks before the primary. Um, obviously, John O'Connor has an opponent in Gettner Drummond who came close to defeating former AG last time around in 2018. Um, and so that's a pretty tight race. And um, it looks as if this is kind of maybe trying to help drag um, some coattails into that with the, the Stitt's campaign. And what did, what did Stitt's campaign people say about the ad? Yeah, so obviously we reached out to them and they said that, that they don't believe it violates any kind of election earring and campaign finance laws. They basically said it's touting the governor's accomplishments and what he promised to do when he was first um, elected, which is turn around the state, including appointing people who would shake up the status quo. And one of those people is John O'Connor. And how about O'Connor's campaign? What did they say? Yeah, so they, they didn't really want to get into this. They said, we don't really comment on other candidates' commercials, which makes you know a lot of sense. But they also um, did point out that some of the, the scenes in that commercial from Governor Stitt also appear in um, O'Connor's own campaign commercials, which are freely available on YouTube. Any campaign pro or fo- against that candidate can pull scenes if they're available on their own commercials and use them in their, their own commercials too. You know, you mentioned... Uh that, that Stitt's campaign said there were no no issues with campaign uh, finance law violations or anything like that here. So uh, it, it strikes me that maybe one of the questions that occurs here is if you uh, donate money to one candidate's campaign and you uh, are sort of uh, allying yourself with that candidate, supporting that candidate, and the money gets spent uh, to support your candidate, plus maybe somebody you don't support. Uh, does that raise any conflicts? That's right. Yeah. And I think that's what the Ethics Commission rules try and stop. I mean, you know, there's different interpretations of what electioneering is. In fact, we talked to some on the other side. We said, well, this is not electioneering. It doesn't meet four parts of this test uh, that's in the law. 
Um, but other folks are saying, well, this, just on its face, this seems to benefit John O'Connor and a statewide commercial in another race you know, that the governor is paying for in a commercial. Um, and so they've got a bipartisan group of House lawmakers actually sent a letter to Oklahoma County District Attorney David Prater asking him to investigate it further because obviously John O'Connor may be conflicted in investigating his own campaign and other campaigns in this situation. All right. What happens next? So th- they actually, the House members did send that letter to David Prater. And um, after the story was published, um, David Prater has since reached out and said that he was taking them seriously and will probably take a look at that as well. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. You can read uh, Paul Money's story about the unusual campaign ad in the governor's race and all his other investigative work from the State House at OklahomaWatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at OklahomaWatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening. Oklahoma Watch is a nonpartisan, nonprofit news organization. That means that we rely on readers and listeners like you to help fund the important work that Oklahoma Watch does throughout the state. We're in the middle of our spring fundraising campaign. If you enjoy the work we do, if you feel as though you benefit from it and the state of Oklahoma benefits from what we do, please take a moment to visit our website and make any contribution that you're comfortable with, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever's comfortable for you will help keep this important work going. Visit our donations page at oklahomawatch.org.